0: Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is a leading man, a wonderful actor, and an incredible singer, and a lovely friend. It's Cheyenne Jackson. Whether you know him from 30 Rock, whether you know him from his years on Broadway, or you know him from his recent stuff like Call Me Cat or playing Hades in Disney Descendants, Cheyenne Jackson has been around for quite some time, doing it up really, really well, and he's family. He's going to talk all about life as a a dad of twins. He's going to talk about how he got to this wonderful point in his career. We're going to talk a little bit about sobriety and personal upkeep, and we go on quite a long tangent about karaoke. So (laughs) buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some brand new Hi, Jinx. M. Oh. M. Mom! Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi, Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by actor, singer, songwriter, and advocate, but I just know him as my friend, Cheyenne Jackson. Hi, Cheyenne
1: hi jinx
0: <laughs> how are you doing where in the world are you right now
1: i'm in los angeles i'm in my uh I, my kids just went to bed upstairs i think i'm gonna take one of these out that's a little better. okay um <laughs> my kids just went to bed and i'm down in my little guest house um this is where my i do my little self tapes i just realized that mm-hmm. this is very like RuPaul season two lighting, <laughs> it very is. blown out.
0: It's a, uh, well, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, you've seem very much like you're in a confessional booth. Yes. Um,
1: no, so wait a second, yep.
0: wait a second. Yep. You have kids. Um, are your kids
1: twins or do they mm-hmm. just look alike? They are they're twins. twins. <laughs> yeah. They're twins. They'll be seven in October. Yeah.
0: Wow. Um, what is it with, um, Queer celebrity couples adopting twins or having twins is that like a, are Neil's kids twins or am I just making that up? No, Neil's kids twins are twins
1: too. Um, I think and doesn't
0: well, Lance Bass have twins?
1: Lance Bass has twins too. Yeah, there's there's three of us, I think maybe more. Um, you know, I never wanted twins necessarily, I always uh-huh. wanted to be a dad, always my whole life. Um, but I was. I was married before I was in a a Mm -hmm. long term relationship for about 12 years, and he didn't want to have kids. So I thought, well, I missed the boat. And then when I met Jason 10 years ago, and he wanted to be a father, I just thought, oh, this is perfect. We have the same philosophies on so many things. So uh, we used surrogacy. So Mm -hmm. we used an egg donor, and then some of his sperm, some of my sperm. Wham bam, and that's what my uh,
0: mom is constantly telling me. She wants mm. me and my husband to do. Mm. She wants me to have. She says her theory is we're going to mix up my sperm and Michael's sperm and then just mix it up, and we won't know whose baby it is in the end. And I told her, I told her when the baby has a British accent, we'll know that it's Michael's.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's there. It's funny you say that because we, well, I didn't necessarily. what What the fertility doctors tell you is mm-hmm. to to put in two embryos in hopes that at least one takes, and in our case, we put in two and they both took right away, and then that mm-hmm. was it, so we were having twins but um the kids are starting to ask questions about not just like where they come from but how come one of them looks more like me and one of them looks more mm-hmm. like data and um it's a it's a it's a Having kids is just such a, it's so painful and overwhelmingly beautiful. <laughs> and it's every, every single day, you just, you can't fucking believe how hard it is and how yeah. it's, uh, there it's, it's amazing. It blows my mind every day. You know, that saying like having a kid is like having your heart walking outside of your body. Mm. Um, and I have that times two. You know, times they are two. just
0: times two. <laughs> now, yeah. um, I follow you on Instagram. Would mm-hmm. you say your kids seem like it seems like your daughter is, is going
1: to be the performer out of the two? Am I making a fair assertion or is she just? Uh... <laughs> well, it's funny because it, initially it, was, it did seem like Willow was, was following more in my footsteps, but lately uh-huh. it's all, she is, she's all about uh, tennis. And she's uh-huh. just all about, she wants to be a mom. She doesn't want to do anything, <laughs> but, um, and she, oh, well, she just got bangs. That was, that's been uh-huh. her biggest thing for, for five years. <laughs> she's been saying, I just want bangs. And it's so funny. We like, who I was, taught I, her this word? <laughs> I, know, I know. I was fighting her so much on it. Cause she has this long, beautiful hair. And then I was thinking like, what the fuck do I care? She's six. <laughs> give her bangs so I did and you know having two dads I don't want her to look like crap so I'm always like you know on YouTube tutorials and (laughs) you know how to give my six-year-old the best bangs yeah well and over COVID I I, like all of us I started cutting everybody's hair in the family Uh my husband my mother-in-law but um I cut her bangs the other day like with this triangle section and ding 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 it was the cutest (laughs) thing she looked in the mirror and she was like who is that? that And now she like she blow dries her bangs and no but (laughs) but Ethan is quite the little musician he can yeah he has great pitch he has a big belt he has like a big wide vibrato it's really cute like Liza like Liza he is yeah
0: (laughs) now I think most of my listeners um, will probably remember you best. And um I know I remember it was like I feel like I had seen you on my TV and in things before 30 Rock. Because when you came on Thirty Rock, I definitely felt like, oh, it's it's Cheyenne Jackson. You looked familiar to me, mm-hmm. but I feel like Thirty Rock might have been my first introduction to you as an yeah. actor, and then finding out that you were family was really, really exciting. Because your character on Thirty Rock is so much like, you know, he's a hot dude. Liz Lemon and him have an affair. Um, you're a you're a stereo a, a stereo typically attractive American male. And the fact that you're queer makes me happy <laughs>
1: every me happy, single too. day. <laughs> it
0: makes me was, happy too. No, yeah. Th- Go ahead. 30 rock. Your I was just going to say, was 30 rock. Your first big yeah blow onto the scene. And how did that come about?
1: On, it was my first television. So I started, I started performing later in life. Uh, I mean, as in 27, 27 mm-hmm. is when I really started in kind. And I, uh, was born in Spokane, and then I lived in Seattle for years and years. Um, got my equity card at the Issaquah Village Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, worked at the Fifth Avenue uh, Civic Light Opera, and then I moved to New York at 27 and didn't have an agent and and I was scared because I didn't go to college, and I just thought I'm not going to be able to compete with all these guys right out of yeah. you know Carnegie Mellon. But I was so wildly confident i don't know i don't know where it came from but it was just i i was manifesting before i even knew what that was i truly just thought this is where i I need to be because i came from this little teeny town Mm -hmm. called old town idaho and uh i they just were (laughs) not my people and i and i always knew that performing in new york was where i was supposed to be so i was in new york and Within three weeks of being in New York, I landed a Broadway show. I was in um, *Thoroughly Modern* <laughs> *Thoroughly Modern Millie*, and like I didn't even have headshots yet. I just had the composite, you know, like where yeah, and um, yeah, and then I then I started taking dance. Then I started doing all of the things. But my mm-hmm. whole life, I have been mimicking and learning and training. Yeah. And I grew up so poor in Idaho, like no running water outhouse yeah. in the woods. So all of my culture was anything I could find at yard sales, like a a, a jazz CD, of Billie Holiday, Lena Horne, Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, or, oh, George Michael, oh, a little of this. I was yeah. just a mishmash. Um, So I thought I was just gonna do Broadway forever because I loved it. And I went from show yeah. to show to show. I did about seven or eight Broadway shows in a row. And then I was doing uh, Damn Yankees. Uh, mm-hmm. with Sean Hayes and Jane Krakowski. And I knew Jane because Jane and I had done the workshops of Xanadu before mm-hmm. Xanadu had moved to Broadway. But then she had to drop out because her little show, 30 Rock, got picked up. <laughs> and so I was doing doing Damn Yankees and then after and Tina Fey came in to see the show to support um, Jane. And then I got a message that Tina wanted to say hi afterwards. <laughs> And I came out and she, she was looking me up and down. And then she said, I like your big Midwestern face and your timing. (laughs) I was like, it was very specific and very her. And she said, "Uh, I have this part on 30 rock. I'd like to uh, like to gauge your interest. (laughs) And that's how it happened. And And there you have it. And I had never done TV. um, And Luckily that character had also never done TV and didn't know how to hit a mark. And <laughs> Alec Baldwin truly taught me the ropes. He he's a, an incredible technician with that kind of material, mm-hmm. you know, a, a chunk of dialogue like this letter, perfect giving you five different nuances and ways to do it and also hit the line perfectly. And um, so it was great, 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 great training. I yeah love it. Yeah.
0: Now, um, if anyone listening has not already listened to uh, the Xanadu soundtrack with Cheyenne Jackson and Carrie Butler and Jackie Hoffman and Mary Testa, I had to listen to this <clears throat> just like every day for uh, getting ready when uh, Ginger Minge and I were going to tour Xanadu and it didn't end up happening, but I became very acquainted with your voice. And my favorite thing you do on the whole soundtrack is in the song dancing. And you go one, two, three. Ah! <laughs> it's my favorite part on the whole soundtrack. Oh my God. The, uh, <laughs> oh,
1: thank you. I love it. Xanadu was just the best. 90 minutes no intermission, uh,
0: roller skates, roller skates, teeny (laughs)
1: little cast. Uh, I, it just a great book. Douglas Carter being wrote a great book. So yeah. And that great, great music. Yeah, Yeah. So fun. So fun.
0: Um, and you have, so lots of people, I think, um, you know, you make it to TV and then that's it. You're a TV star, but you keep going. Um, well, you recently, a couple of years ago, did um the what was it? The the LA production of Into the Woods and the Hollywood Bowl. Was that it?
1: Yeah. You looked I did. so
0: good as the the Wolf and the Prince. Did
1: you play the Wolf and the Prince? I did. I played the Wolf and the yeah. Prince at Hollywood Bowl. And then just this past summer, I went into the Broadway one with Sarah Bareilles. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I went into that while uh, my buddy Gavin Creel uh, was on vacation. So I popped okay. into that. And I had not done a Broadway musical in 10 years. And Did it, did it all come flooding back to you? You know, it did. <laughs> but Jinx, I did it because, first of all, I just love Into the Woods, and I love Broadway, yeah. and I love the community. You know, having just triumphed there, it is. there is nothing like it. It takes every single bit of your being to do it, eight shows a week. But being on television for 10, 11, 12 years now, whatever it's been, um, I kind of wanted just to fucking know if I could still do it. Yeah, Uh, I knew physically I could do it. I knew vocally I could still do it. But mentally, you know, you go up on a lyric, can't say, can we take that back? Oh, (laughs)
0: yeah. That's the most terrifying part because... You know, um, for years, uh, I've either been doing TV work or my own work. And if I go mm-hmm. up on a line on stage, like especially one of my own shows, if a line comes out wrong, I joke about the line coming out wrong. And we might divert for five minutes talking about why that line come out wrong. And then that's like the part of the show that everyone liked the best. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, in a in a scripted, established work, your brain is just on fire the whole time. Lana Gordon, who played Velma, there were nights when she would just turn to me right before we were going to go on to sing class and she would just say, my brain's on fire. I can't think of a single mm. thing I'm supposed to do out there. And then we'd mm. just look into each other's eyes and it would all come back. You know, uh, it is nice. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd be way more nervous if I was doing a one-person show on Broadway mm. <laughs> Then I was totally. really lucky that my first one mama's not the hugest part but she's impactful so it's like I didn't have to carry the show but I got to really shine whenever I was on stage you know and that's an
1: ideal place for me
0: that's a good character actor place to be
1: (laughs) oh my god you just I wish I could have seen it in person but I I kind of feel like I did because not just in the recent reunion of the recent uh RuPaul season but Um, we, we're pals with so many, we have, we share so many friends that between everybody's clips and the things that kind of leaked online, (laughs) like you got laughs where normally there's nothing. Like you just, (laughs) you just have a way. It's just, uh, it's so, it's so amazing. And just the lines of people and uh, that must've taken a while to come down from.
0: Yeah. I, I, I really, really had the best time it was the hardest work of my life Mm -hmm. and it was also it was also the most rewarding and the happiest like I think the happiest I've been while working Mm. in my adult life like I mean everything related to drag race has been a dream I've I've gone on twice I've won twice I've been I can't complain an ounce about drag race but um it is very very different when you set out to be a theater actor doing Broadway, Mm -hmm. and then you finally get there, I was so afraid that it was going to be like, have I worked my whole adult life towards this? And it turns out I'm not right for it. And so Mm. the affirmation was beautiful. But then the work was just, I I enjoy working. I enjoy Mm -hmm. developing the character. I enjoy the dramaturgy. I enjoy all the conversations. I like seeing how my character started at week one and how she ended at week 10. And it was just a really great time. Then I turned around and did Doctor Who. And I was able, even though it's completely different, like, you know, your brain has to be completely set in different ways. Yes. And you would think from a Broadway show that it would, um, I wouldn't have been working so hard on like, it's so funny. Charlotte Damboise and Lana Gordon, who led Chicago while I was in it. I, I, They were like, doing Broadway musical acting, but they were also using the Meisner technique. Like, Mm. everything was about if you were in a scene with one of them, everything was about the conversation between the two of you Mm. and it was all connected. And Lord help you if you weren't connecting with them because they didn't let you, they didn't let you um, Mm -hmm. skate by. Lana would yell at me, they'd turn her mic off between lines and she'd just be saying ad lib lines at me (laughs) to keep me like really like in the moment of the scene. Mm. And I really, really loved it. It was crazy and I loved it. And it did play into my work. And Doctor Who, because even if I was in a scene alone, I would just kind of try to think of who's my who would be my scene partner here, and what do I want to get out of them with this
1: scene? Oh, um, so you've you've already wrapped Doctor Who, that, wrapped the- Doctor
0: Who, wrapped Chicago. I'm now in Australia on a tour for wow. about another week before I go to Seattle to rehearse my summer tour with my band.
1: Wow.
0: Let You're
1: me... me? At, oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. I just went <laughs> in kind of a deep dive about your comedy. So the the summer tour is your comedy?
0: No. So I did a comedy special called Redhead Redemption, and the summer tour is completely new. Oh my um, God. It's, um, you know, it's mostly original music by myself and Major Scales, but I'm writing a bunch of new monologues and, you know, there will be elements of my comedy special in it, but I really, like, once something goes out and you can watch it over and over, Uh I I consider those jokes retired. Like, once I use a joke on Drag Race or once I use a joke filmed somewhere, then that joke belongs to that thing and now I gotta write a new joke, so...
1: that's (laughs) what always amazes me about, about you comedians, Amy Schumer... You know, Bianca, so many that that make their living doing that. And you're right. Once it is out there, once it's filmed, once people can quote it, mm-hmm. it really that. But then, I mean, I was listening to Sarah Silverman the other day, and she's like, "Yeah, you you just are constantly in a state of starting over. Here we go. Yeah. This is the new baby. This is the new creation." Um, I'm interested in your process when you're when you're writing your new show because I love to write and I love to write music and and yeah. material too. Um. Do you, when you're workshopping it, like as you're performing, do you, is it still a work in progress or is there a time when it's frozen?
0: I mean, I want everything, I want everything to be ready to put on the best possible first show for the first audience, whether we have a preview or we're just jumping right in. I want the show to be ready so that the first audience gets a great show no matter what. And the first audience oftentimes also gets to see, like, the the things go wrong or something like that. And luckily, my audiences throughout the years have just grown more and more, like, generous. Like, Chicago, when the audiences would be mostly there for me, they'd be clapping for every single performer, every Mm -hmm. single number. They brought so much energy to the whole show. So luckily, you know, I'm not worried about messing up on a first night but i don't consider the work done until you've done it in front of an audience mm-hmm. because you don't really know what jokes work or how they work and and you can tell right away when you do a joke if there is no reason to keep trying with that joke mm-hmm. just accept that it didn't it didn't work right. but sometimes you can tell that there's a joke that just needs to be said differently right. or just rearranged i in australia since i I'm doing a little bit of my stand-up to promote the special. Um, it had been like, you know, months since I had last performed my my full stand-up routine for an audience. And the first night I was telling this story that always get la- gets laughs. And I just worded it slightly differently than how I normally do. And the audience wasn't laughing at all. And I realized, oh, I'm talking about like transphobia in the States. And if you were like, that's real, like that's going on right now. And it's hard to want to laugh at that, even with a trans person giving you permission to laugh at it by telling you the story. But I used one word differently, or one, mm. one thing got set up differently. And I was like, oh, I didn't set it up for them to know that I'm okay with this.
1: Mm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I oh set it up God. like it was
0: too real for me. Sure. And I think they were not laughing out of consideration for it. Sure, sure. Um, how transphobic the airport is! Oh my
1: god! <laughs> do you, do you, are you gonna do your holiday show again? Oh yeah! Do you do that every year? Uh,
0: yes, every year. And oh, this god. this is the craziest year of my life because basically, you know how it is. Opportunities come, and you realize I got to take this opportunity now yeah. so that it can so that it can set up for you know the future. So that if I do it now then I can take a little bit more time off later or something, you know? I've been telling myself that 2024 gets to be a much lighter year because I go straight from the summer tour, two weeks off, and then I start writing the holiday tour with Dayla. But you asked about my process, and I'll tell you, I don't do anything alone. Um, Mm. I think if if I were at home and the only work I was doing was working on my show, I might, you know, be doing a lot more of the work alone. But I work with a writing partner that I've worked with for years who helped me write my stand-up special, Nick Sahoya. Mm. Um, he played my son for a long time in the Jinx Monsoon world. And, you know, Dayla, I work with her on our holiday show. So... I'm not someone who can self-motivate and do everything alone. I very much need, I very much need like someone sharing the load. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Your holiday show. I can't believe it's taken me this long to see it. But, and I told you afterwards, I just, I just could not believe how fucking good it was. (laughs) It just kept popping itself. And then just, it just, when you think you can't laugh anymore, just the way, the structure of it and the end of act one. I mean, I was, we were absolutely <laughs> dying. It was just so smart. Oh, well, thank so you, great. Oh my God, no, it's, it's uh, yeah.
0: Let me ask you, I want to ask you about something kind of probing, kind I've, of personal. But I feel like it's okay to ask you because you posted about it. And I've been very open um, in my own life with a very similar, with the same thing. Um, We've both had hair transplants. Mm -hmm. And for me, my hair transplant really, like, it, it, it helped my life get back. On track, <laughs> like, I always joke as a trans feminine person, it's really hard to feel feminine flirty when you look like Krusty the Clown. Mm. And so for me, it was very much wrapped in my um, trans identity and going bald and not feeling like I could, you know, look femme anymore. And and then I have my own hypotheses, but I have to imagine as a gay man, as, as um, a leading male actor there is a lot of pressure on you to maintain a certain image. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, like what have been the upsides and downsides of being really, really
1: ridiculously good looking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for this question. I've actually never talked about it. I've I've posted about it. Oh, I put
0: a, yeah, you posted about it. So that's why I thought I was allowed. And I'm
1: happy to talk about it. I talk about it with friends all the time. And, oh, me too. I'll talk about it to whoever oh, listens. <laughs> it's it's so funny, Jinx. Like the shame that people have mm-hmm. about their hair, and men in particular. I have heard from literally hundreds of people, and have sent about forty of them to my yeah. doctor here in California. You know, well from from just artists within the industry to well known actors people there is a shame there is there is something that we feel like we are less than like you said you felt less feminine i when i was 13 years old i grew seven inches in one summer and all of a sudden i was six three and a half and i looked like i i I just all of a sudden i realized that people were really paying attention to what i looked like and i was beautiful and and it, everybody, it's the first thing anybody talked about. As soon as I would walk, mm-hmm. I would walk down the street and people would do a double and a triple take. And I realized, <laughs> oh, okay, this is my currency. This is my, <laughs> this is my yeah. thing. This is okay. You know, they didn't know that I could sing. They didn't know that I mm-hmm. was funny. They didn't know that I was kind. They didn't give a shit. It was about my face. And it, I have to say for a while, it really did a number on me. Um, because when that is the first thing that people think of, and this still to this day, often one of the first things people talk about is what I look like. Now I'm not sitting here crying that this is the hard thing, but, um, when my hair started to fall out and Mm -hmm. it did in my early twenties, my brother is completely bald. Mm -hmm. Um, he's three years older than me. He's a pastor. And he always jokes, it's like, we look exactly the same, except he has no hair. <laughs> and um, but he's like, pastors, pastors don't really need hair. But when my hair um, started falling out, my self-esteem and my whole identity was falling out from underneath me. I really felt like I had this kind of identity crisis. And that was really at the same time when I was deciding that I wanted to devote my life to being an artist full-time. And Uh I thought, I got to have hair if I'm a leading man. So I moved to New York. I started working on Broadway. I had enough to where I could like arrange (laughs) and I could like cover, you know, be creative. It's kind of before we could put all the cool stuff in that we can put in now. But um, as soon as I got my first couple of paychecks in Thoroughly Modern Millie, I went to a place, not a very good place, but it's the only place I could afford and got my first one. And Uh I hit it and... Then my next show, I had to wear a wig and I had got my second one. And I remember like I had fresh stitches and, yeah. and I, would, I would always make a big deal. And up until even a few years ago, at the beginning of every project, the shame that I had, I, I would always like, I would come into the hair and makeup room and shut the shutters and close the doors. And I would say, you guys, <laughs> I have to tell you something. I just have to, <laughs> I have to be honest. You know, I've had hair transplants. And of course, hair and makeup people are like, and yeah, (laughs) I mean,
0: (laughs) that's that was what I found out here. Okay, so, so many things. We, um, growing up in America, it's this weird dichotomy. It's this weird dichotomy of, I feel like I was raised with this idea of love yourself for who you are, love yourself, um, for your uniqueness. You don't need to change yourself to be beautiful, everyone's beautiful in their own way. That was the mentality that I was being raised with at the same time that I saw like women of a certain weight shouldn't wear things like this and people Mm. of a certain age shouldn't wear this. And um, you know, so much like pressure being put on how you present to the world while you're also being told you're beautiful just the way you are. And here's the thing, you are beautiful just the way you are. But if you personally feel like there's something Not, uh, you know, and of course, it's a privilege to be able to afford these kind of things. But right now at our conversation in, you know, uh, in his the conversation we're having now around trans identities and what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman. And then I feel like it's really actually quite beneficial to the conversation for us to talk openly that like. A, a plastic surgery is not just a trans thing. Um, body modification is not just a trans thing. You know, like um, I have had no work done except for my hair transplant, and for me, that was that was as much that worked as well as getting a facial feminization surgery. Yeah, I get it. Um, I get it. So I I I, I totally get the shame and the the shame around like changing yourself to maintain an image but it, yeah it's like we can't we can't like put shame or guilt on people until we know what their life has been like, like um, I, for the longest time, you know, have been saying to my friends like, yes, this person, you know, like when someone's complaining about how hot someone is and I bet this person has just been handed so much to them because they were hot. Like, maybe, but that doesn't mean that that person hasn't had a whole life of experiences, good and bad. You know, like, people say, oh, you probably get ahead because you're funny. And I'm like, oh, yeah, if they get my jokes, if they feel like listening to me, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, you don't know anyone's story. You don't know anybody's truth and anybody's pain. And everybody... You just, you just don't. And I rem, I remember it was about my third, my third transplant, um, cause I've had five and a scar revision. Um, I just started to feel less guilty, less ashamed and also just like myself again and my confidence yeah. came back and that was, it was as simple as that. And I, over COVID when everyone was like getting, giving each other haircuts and shaving their hair and I mm-hmm. shaved my head and I, you could see my scar. And I was like, I think I'm going to share about this. Yeah. And uh it ended up being such a freeing thing just because so many people are like no men talk about it.
0: Yeah. There's a handful and of us, you know. I know. And you posting about it was actually a big thing about me saying to myself cuz I think I saw you post about it shortly after I had mine. Like my hair was still growing back mm. after the transplant. And I had decided, you know, before the transplant that I just wasn't going to really bring it up, you know? Yeah. And people, you know, because I was mostly wearing hats, and there's a few pictures where you can really... There's a few pictures that exist where you can really see how thin my hair was. But most people didn't even notice. Most mm-hmm. people don't, don't know. But I made the choice to start talking about it because I just know countless femme people who probably... You know, like, I I bet if they invested in a hair transplant, they would feel better about the things that Mm -hmm. they, but again, it's a privilege to get to do that. And, um, we're in such a crazy time where everyone's personal choices are being judged so harshly Yes. So let's talk. How did you met your partner ten years ago? I mm. met you both in Provincetown mm. right before you, you had the kids. Yes. Um. And uh, so, how did you meet your partner? And you've been with your partner for ten years. Ten Is years. That, and. How long have, sorry to just bring up another thing randomly, but how long have you been sober and did that ever clash in your relationship? Was that something you two, um, did that happen while you were in your relationship or was it before?
1: Yeah, Um, we met in AA. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yes, we met in AA, um, both freshly sober and (laughs) it was not uh, something I was looking for. Uh, but yeah, we, I met him, he was giving a share. He was just angry and bitchy and fabulous and had a a big mouth. And he was, he was just honest, raw and honest. Mm. And, um, I just loved him instantly. And so, yeah, we got together very quickly. We were sober for, you know, I just recently speaking of talking about stuff, (laughs) I recently, uh, Posted again about something very personal. And that was that I fell off the wagon and was not sober Mm. anymore after about eight and a half years. About a year ago, I tried it to kind of like, see what it would be like if I could drink again. You know, I'm in my mid 40s. I'm a different person than I was. Um, I have kids now, you know, I'm not going to be stumbling out of therapy in New York. I'm not going to be, you know, like it, it, it was It got a little dicey back in the day, but, um, as of about, uh, as of three and a half weeks ago, actually, I'm just back Mm -hmm. on, back on the train and Mm -hmm. nothing even, nothing even dramatic happened. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I went to a, I went to a a gala and, um, drank too much with friends. Nobody even knew I was drunk, but the next morning I had a hangover. And I have not yeah. had a hangover <laughs> in so long. And I forgot. And I was just like, you know what? No, I don't want to yeah. have, you know, cause the whole next day is just a wash and oh yeah, I don't want to have a day. That's a wash. Um, so I've recommitted to my sobriety. That's just kind of my long way of saying that, but, um, yeah, I've met him then. And, uh, so it's been really nice to go through that experience together and, uh, yeah, I mean, through this process, we've—he lost his dad, I lost my dad. We had children. We bought a home. Global pandemic, uh, writer's strike. You know, we've we've weathered it, and it's uh, going through life with your with your best friend. And like truly, we spend nearly every waking moment together. And now we're working together. We started a production company last year and are developing and have some projects that are gaining momentum and uh i didn't know how it would be and it's great it's really really great so um and he he told me i couldn't do this unless i told you how much he loves you (laughs) (laughs) You i haven't seen him
0: in years
1: (laughs) we didn't come backstage excuse me at the christmas show because we had to get back to the kids but um he thinks you are (laughs) <laughs> the star of all stars. He's like, she is tell her that she is don't tell her this. Cause it's too embarrassing, but I'm going to say it anyway. He's like, she's a true star. Like there are not that many people that like are true stars. I'm like, I, I hear you like not since the thirties, you know, it's, uh,
0: yeah. Well, that's very sweet. Um, <laughs> there is, you know, um, That summer that we met in Provincetown, Mm -hmm. I also also met Megan Hilty, who worked in Seattle. And so that's three of us who came out of Seattle doing big things (laughs) that I (laughs) just wanted to throw that in there. I've got. A list of quick facts that I would love to probe you about. Yeah, probe. Um, your first experience using a bidet was at Whoopi Goldberg's party. Yes. Can you explain this? So we were
1: doing um, <laughs> we were doing Xanadu. She came in uh, towards the end when our show, our numbers weren't so great. And she was our Jinx Monsoon. She came in to kind of like, you know, elevate our show.
0: Oh, who'd she play?
1: Um, she played Jackie's role. Uh-huh. So she's good friends with Mary Testa, and so she kind of mm-hmm. came in, and Jackie kindly stepped aside for a few weeks. Um, but yeah, Whoopi had a party at her house, and she just has this had—I don't know where she lives now—but this incredible, like you know, the houses you go to where people like have a different kind of money.
0: <laughs> you know, it's just like yeah. wow.
1: Yeah. And she let me hold her Oscar, and then yeah, she um she brought me down the hallway, and she's like, "You want to see something?" And then she showed me her, day, and she's like. <laughs> You wanna sit on that? And I'm like, yes. And I sat on it and she's like, it's warm, isn't it? Yeah. So I have one now.
0: Oh yeah, but days changed my life. I mean, I wanna...
1: (laughs) How do you ever feel clean unless you're on a bidet? I just no, can't.
0: I know traveling. I, I, oh my god, I tried so hard. I I bought a bidet and sent it to the World of Wonder office, and it was like, please install this in my hotel room for the eight weeks that I'm there when we were filming All Stars, and they couldn't do it. It was so sad. But anyway, uh, yes, no, um,
1: I love
0: a bidet. Bidet is another thing that was once a. Once a prime luxury, and now you can just get those little attachable ones yes. on the. <laughs> Still works. <laughs> Still works. Yeah. Let's see more quick facts, Siri. Uh, well, we've talked about. Oh, you were a track star in high school. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was. Yeah, I did. Uh, I ran the one ten hurdles and uh, did the long jump. Yeah, that was. I was. I was a, uh, an athlete that nobody really knew. Nobody really believed I was an athlete, not even myself, because I was I was in all the plays. But um uh-huh. yeah, it kind of all came for me my junior year.
0: Running is the thing I hate most in life. Yeah. I, well, I I hate running more than anything else. Do you have any is there is there like a key to liking running? Or do you just ugh. like it or you don't? I don't <laughs> like running.
1: I do it because it just makes me feel better. But uh, Uh yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not so much a runner. I I like to hike. (laughs) I put my treadmill up on a thing or I hike outside. I live in the hills here, Uh but yeah, no. Running as you get older, I don't wanna, it's so much pounding.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, your poor knees and ankles. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, ah. Well, Cheyenne, I have um, compulsory questions I ask every guest and you may answer them however you want. Um, They're pretty straightforward, so if you're ready for them, I'm going to throw them at you. Sure. (laughs) Who is your celebrity crush today?
1: Oh, uh, Murray Bartlett.
0: Murray Bartlett. I'm so terrible with names.
1: Murray Bartlett. Murray Bartlett. um, uh, White Lotus, the season before last. Mm -hmm. uh, The Last Uh of Us. uh well, who do he play
0: in White Lotus? Um he was one? the
1: hotel manager in the first season. Okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, we're we're pals and he's yeah, he's so dreamy.
0: He was so great I I haven't caught up on season 2 of White Lotus and um don't worry that doesn't mean the memes are lost on me. I know everything about <laughs> what happens to poor Jennifer Coolidge, but um <laughs> uh, that show was so um just not a show that I normally would have watched. And Same. when I heard what it was about, I was like, eh, I need something lighter than that. But then I watched it and I was hooked. I watched the whole, I think I watched the whole season one in mm. like two days. Um Yeah. Let's who's my celebrity crush? Yeah, today? who's your
1: celebrity crush right now?
0: I was just thinking of someone and now they're gone from my head. <laughs> I feel like um I should say an Australian person. I'm going to say my friend, Joel Creasy, just because I'm in Australia. You'd love him. Um, just a pretty boy, uh, Australian comedian. I love um, an Australian
1: accent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Um, next question is, are you spiritual?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah? It's taken me a while to get back to that because I came from such a very fundamental Christian mm-hmm. church. I went on three mission trips. It was a huge part of my life. My first concert was Amy Grant. Like I that was my <laughs> whole existence. Um and so I turned my back on that for a long time, but as I get older and now being sober, having children, in fact right before I did this came came down here to do this podcast, my son Ethan asked me um what's God? Who's God? <laughs> and so for about 45 minutes we discussed what we think God is. And so uh, uh-huh. it's, uh, yeah. But yeah, I am. I am.
0: You, um, you might want to specify what God isn't because um, <laughs> when good. I was a kid, I asked that question and my mom told me, and you know, I was raised, I was raised Catholic, but we were very, I would say loosely Catholic. Um, but my mom told me what God was, explained the concept of God. And then I became convinced that the sun was God because that mm. made sense for everything that my mom said about God. So I would wake up and when we'd go walk to the car in the mornings between the house and the car, I would look directly into the sun and talk to God as a kid. <laughs> and now I think that's why I'm blind as a bat without my contacts or glasses. Why. So you might want to tell Ethan... Even if the sun seems like it makes a lot of sense that that would be God, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to stare directly into it. <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. So stupid. Um, final question is what is your go to karaoke song?
1: Oh, I loathe karaoke. <laughs> I just, I, just
0: I, won't. I do too. I do too because I hate the politics around karaoke. Ugh. There's always like hardcore karaoke people who people go to that, that place bring their every week
1: and bring yeah, yeah, things. yeah.
0: And and I can't get into the politics. I just like showing up as a ringer. Yes. Okay. Okay. singing one song and then and then disappearing
1: okay so yes full disclosure now i i hate karaoke because the sound systems are always shit and we're uh-huh. you know we like a good sound system we like it you know we like <laughs> to hear ourselves we like some reverb yeah. but what i used to do um <laughs> you know like what's it called when you uh like somebody who plays pool really well but they pretend that they don't yeah, a, a ringer. Pool, pool, a ringer, a pool yeah, pool
0: yeah, shark. Yeah, yeah so a oh, pool shark,
1: yeah. yes. So <laughs> back in um back in the day when like I was like 22 or something, I remember I would go uh to to gay bars and stuff if there was karaoke and I and I would act like, oh, you guys, I don't know. I, I don't."
0: Don't make me sing. Don't make me
1: sing. Don't make, don't me, make me, sing. me sing. And then I would sing uh you know, "Don't let the sun go down on me" or some like George yeah. Michael ballady thing. Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's um it's fun. It's fun. Um <laughs> I, I my husband loves karaoke, my music partner loves karaoke, and I have this theory that it's their, it's their time. Yes. You know, like my music partner when we're in Provincetown, excuse me, my music partner would go to karaoke all the time alone. And one night I finally was like, should I come to karaoke with you? Do you want me to come? And he's like, sure. And then he sang his song and I I sang a song right after. And then he said something like, did you have to do that song? <laughs> and then it all hit on me. It, like it all just hit, like it dawned on me. Oh, he comes here so mm-hmm. that he can be the star of the yeah. show for a little bit. And I yeah. need to let him have this. Yeah, we do. And my 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 husband's the same, but he likes me to go to karaoke with him. But I can't. Last time I went to karaoke with my husband, like I said, the politics. If you don't tip the KJ, you don't get put in as soon. Or if you're friends with the KJ, you might sing two songs before. Some people have even sung one. And I I I would sit there watching him pour over the songbook, picking the perfect song. (laughs) And then, and then he'd put it in and he'd just be waiting and waiting and waiting and it would break oh. my heart. And then he got up and sang the song and he had asked him to put it down um, two steps or uh-huh. something, but they put it up two steps or something and it was all in the yes. wrong key. And I watched him struggle and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't watch my husband get his it's little heart broken by karaoke. No, it's too painful. <laughs> it's too much.
1: It's too much. We don't it's need too it. too
0: much. Uh, so you have a production company mm-hmm. that you started with your husband. You, um, we can still watch you on 30 rock. Um, you've got call me cat right now with Mayim Bialik.
1: Um, it just got canceled, but you can watch it, just it on. Got, well,
0: well, you, you can had watch it somewhere. I
1: had it <laughs> for a couple of years, a few years, but yeah. Um,
0: you yeah. were Hades in um The Descendants recently. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Yes, yes.
1: I'm huge. With Jackson.
0: <laughs> you are all over the place. And I hope you're not going anywhere anytime soon. And hopefully one day we will get to perform together in some context.
1: Cause that would, would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. And honestly, I'm just I'm so happy to see you diving headfirst into your art in all of these ways. And more than anything, I'm so happy that, like you said, everybody is embracing you in a way that is kind of unprecedented. I've never seen, it's just, uh, it's, it's awesome. So I'm, I'm very excited well, for your.
0: I've said a few times, I think it's I mean, I I have learned to be confident in what I can do well. Mm -hmm. I have learned to know really, really, you know, objectively what it is I can bring and and deliver. And so I focus on that. But um, I think it's just a part of it's not just that it's me and someone who's been working at it for a while and someone who has, you know, the goods to back it up in some areas. But it's also that we want to celebrate drag queens and trans people right now. And like with Chicago, I I said often to the cast that like, yes, it's it's me, but it's also that it's a drag queen, mm. you know, like not saying it could be any drag queen and it would have been the same thing. But, you know, we've been just like our community has been waiting and I've been talking till I'm blue in the face about drag queens being treated like the artists that they are and Mm -hmm. not like some kind of subsect of of the art form they work in just because they're drag queens so I think it was a perfect storm it's the perfect timing and it sure makes me glad that it didn't happen any sooner for me because if I if if it had happened sooner and I burnt out and became bitter and jaded and didn't want to keep doing this then I'd be missing out on this point in time right now that's
1: When does your Doctor Who come out? Next year?
0: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, probably a year. Uh, Special effects take so special effects and animation take forever. But Uh, it was really, really great. And I'm looking forward to it. And the whole series is gonna be amazing. I can't Uh, say anything about it, but this new reboot of Doctor Who, it's like they are leaning in to everything we've always loved about Doctor Who. They're Uh like turning the dial up, and now they've got Disney Plus money. So they're, you know, it's gonna be a real it's going to be a great season to watch. So oh, that's
1: so awesome. Congrats.
0: Thank you. Anything else you'd like to, um, promote? Where can uh, we find you online? I'm sure we can just search your name. Yeah. Google's a wonderful
1: tool. Yeah. I'm not on, I'm not on Twitter or, or anything else, just Instagram. And yeah, I'm just, we're in the middle of the writer strike here. I'm just busy creating and writing and being a dad. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes that in-between jobs is a very precarious, like, what's going to happen? But I've gone from yeah. show to show to show for so long that sometimes the in-between, even though it is scary, it's very exciting because there are no yeah. limits and who knows what is going to be. So I'm not I'm not sure what's next, but um, when I'm on something and when it is, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk then. Well,
0: so it'll be you and me. Together on a new um, you and me and Dayla on a buddy yep. <laughs> buddy comedy. Cheyenne Jackson and his two drag queen friends oh my God, coming this that would
1: fall. Be a dream. <laughs> Dayla, oh. smart
0: <laughs> well, motherfucker. Yeah, she is. Yeah. But don't tell her that. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for being my guest today, Cheyenne. Have a wonderful, I'm glad your kids are already down. So um, you go back upstairs and do what comes natural.
1: All right, you too. Travel safe too.
0: (laughs) Thanks. Bye, Cheyenne. Uh, Bye, honey. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx.
1: Oh,
0: <sighs> Mom. To listen to Hi Jinx One Day Early and Ad-Free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepherd. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.